Mark here uh, with Pastor Zach, and uh, we're recording a different kind of a video this morning, uh, trying to let you in a little bit to some of our conversations that we enjoy having, um, not so much as like part of a staff meeting, but um, often what I'll do is uh, just go in and check on Pastor Zach and see how he's doing, and that ends up turning into an hour, hour and a half conversation about all kinds of theological topics, ministry topics, um, personal things that come up that uh, we're thinking about and wrestling with. And and so this video is kind of letting you into that a little bit, and um, it's with the specific intention of sharing some of our opinions and our views on the Christian Reformed Church. I know that that question comes up from time to time. It'll come up in our council meetings, um, what is the Christian Reformed Church up to, um, what are some things, some initiatives that are being promoted from uh, Grand Rapids uh, towards our church, um, and it'll come up, I know, in your own conversations as well as you're reading the banner, as you look at the, the network, which is the, the CRC website where people can post articles. Um, there are even other periodicals like the Christian Courier that will comment on the goings-on of the Christian Reformed Church, and this is something that people um, should think about and uh, we should evaluate uh, from time to time, and uh, Pastor Deck and I talk about these kind of things too. Uh, pastors talk about this stuff when we get together. What's happening in Grand Rapids? Um, what, uh, what's happening at the seminary or at uh, Calvin University or maybe some of the other uh, Reformed schools like Dort University? Um, that we're very, very connected to. And, um, and so we want to give you sort of a window into our conversation about that topic. Um, and uh, I think it's important that it comes right on the heels of our last Proverbs talk, which was the Proverbs on opinions, right? And so um, it's good that we did that talk just a few days ago and sort of evaluate if we're really seeking understanding or if we're just spouting off our opinion or and really just loving our opinion, loving our pride, building ourselves up, puffing ourselves up, um, or if we're really trying to seek understanding. And the reason that I wanted to record this and share it with everyone is because I do think these these conversations lead to understanding. They, um, they don't just go down the rabbit hole and sort of end and then we just sort of walk away. I think that we're really stimulating one another's intellects and uh, ministry skills as as we try to figure figure out how Ammon Valley Christian Reformed Church should function uh, not just in the broader Christian world but particularly in the Christian Reformed Church. And so um, but there's going to be three sections to this. It's going to be a little bit longer of a video and I hope that's okay uh, with you. I think that the topic will definitely sustain a good uh, lengthy conversation and uh, there's going to be three sections, so um, just so you know, I'm not texting or whatever. I've got <laughs> notes here, and the first question that we're going to be wrestling with is, are the strengths and weaknesses of the Christian Reformed Church? What do we see as um, wonderful, uh, God-led, Spirit-led blessings of the Christian Reformed Church, um, both to our members and to our neighbors? And uh, what are some weaknesses that we see? We could probably spend the whole hour on that because there are many strengths and some weaknesses certainly as well. Secondly, we're going to ask how, how do we understand our interaction in the CRC? Um, that is, um, both personally and corporately as a congregation, how do we see Ammon Valley um, 
interacting and uh, what could improve and um, what is going well. And then lastly, we'll think what would be a best case scenario for where the denomination will go in the next 10 years. This is a huge pivot point right now yeah. as a denomination. Uh, our executive director just um, resigned and uh, personally, I don't think, uh, I'll maybe say the first controversial thing of, of, the, uh, of the conversation, I don't think that that actually should be quite that big of a deal. Um, I think that it, it's fine that it was a big deal because he's a, a by all accounts that I've seen, a godly man, um, and, and yet um, he's not the king of the CRC, he's not the pope of the CRC, and with our polity, um, the executive director uh, should should really not be um, all that influential, I don't think, in the daily goings-on of a typical Christian Reformed church. Um, that gets a little bit political, because that's kind of my view of the president as well, that, um, <laughs> that things should be more local. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, we don't need a king of our country, we don't need a pope of our church, um, we need local leadership um, doing that. And so anyways, we'll think about well, how would that go well in the next um, in the next ten years or so? So, uh, Zach, why don't you tell us about your way into the CRC? Yeah. So, some of you have heard this before, maybe you haven't. But my last name, believe it or not, is not Dutch. Uh, I am not from the CRC. It is not Dewey, although I've seen it spelled like that before. Uh, D E and then. Uh, upper capital yeah, capital W and then lowercase e y is that's not how it's spelled but but I appreciate the gesture. Um, so I came into reformed theology kind of in a roundabout way. I grew up in uh, middle of the road evangelical Baptist sort of churches, and then in high school started going to what was formerly uh, a United Methodist church. By that time, it was non-denominational. It had left the United Methodist denomination but still for all intents and purposes, was Wesleyan, which if you know your church history means very not reformed. <laughs> Wesleyan was one of the uh, one of church history's most well-known Arminians um, and was not reformed in any real way, um, although there are Calvinistic Methodists now. So Lloyd that's, Jones. yeah, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Lloyd um, but that church was not Calvinist in any way. Um, it was just sort of Evangelical and Wesleyan in its bent. Um, and then in college, while I was still going there, working for the church in various capacities, preaching every once in a while, even, um, and doing youth group, uh, I started studying on my own and, and sort of against my own will was badgered to read some of the quote unquote young, restless, and reformed uh, gurus and pastors at the time, bloggers, and so. Some of those names that I read back then were uh, Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll, John Piper, John MacArthur, and R.C. Sproul, of course, would be another one. And so it was through reading all of those guys that I came to understand Reformed theology, at least basic Calvinism, um, and got really interested in finally reading my Bible seriously, which is something I hadn't personally done prior to that. And so I figured, what better way than to start reading and taking notes verse by verse through the book of Romans. And so I started with the book of Romans, and by the time I got to chapter 3, writing a note on each verse, I think I had become a Calvinist. 
officially. Uh, it wasn't Romans 9 like it is for some people. For me, it was just Romans chapter 3, being saved by grace through faith, and it's not anything that you do. Uh, to me, that began to make sense of the Calvinism I had begun to, to be reading. But at this point, I was really on my own. I was kind of on my own little island of Reformed theology. I was going to a basically a Methodist church um, with a pastor who I still deeply respect, a great friend of mine. Um, but was not growing in my Reformed theology from the church I was going to, and so it was a lot of it was up to me to study. And slowly, I, my friends started reading some of the things I was reading, but then I, I realized I really needed to uh, to go in deep, and I wanted to go to seminary, so I picked the most Reformed-sounding seminary I could find, Reformed Theological Seminary, uh, and I didn't want to be in the snow, so that cut out any of the ones in the northern part of the country, and so I found myself in Orlando, Florida, going to Reformed Theological Seminary, and then I realized that all my professors there were all Presbyterian and not Reformed, and so I had to realize that Presbyterians are a huge part of the Reformed tradition, and so and a lot of those Presbyterians that were there are from the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, uh, which is a rather conservative Presbyterian denomination, um, and certainly not the most conservative by any stretch, and so I learned theology in a more serious way, of course, going through, through seminary, and then found myself wanting to move back to California and started looking for churches, and I saw this little church in, in Ripon, California, and I knew Ripon, I knew it was only a few hours away from home, and I thought, the CRC, I, it, I know some, some Dutch Reformed theologians, and that was, <coughs> that was a big connection for me. We read a lot of Bavink in seminary, and so... Uh, that sort of excited me, being able to come to a, a CRC, even though I didn't know much about it. And so now, three years in, I know much, much more about it than I did back then. Um, and it's been interesting, having gone through different parts of the Reformed world and now found, finding myself here, it is a unique place. Um, it's a unique denomination. I can see some of the similarities, of course, and some of the differences that it has. And in seminary, I got to know a lot of Evangelical Presbyterians, that's the EPC denomination, or the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, or I even got to know a few RPCNA, which is the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. Uh, so I got to know a pretty broad uh, swath of, of Presbyterian and Reformed uh, people. That has helped me to sort of know my place, where, where I fit, uh, and where we fit, too, as a denomination in that broader Reformed world. So that's how I found myself here, and I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, so um, it's it's great, I think, uh, and this will lend to the quality of the conversation that Pastor Zach <clears throat> did not grow up in the CRC, um, probably grew up never having heard of the CRC until maybe you went to seminary, I would guess. Um, and uh, even though there was one in Fresno, I guess not too far away, but yeah. that's... that's uh, I actually had looked that one up. Okay. When I first became Reformed, I wanted to know if there were Reformed churches, okay. and I yeah. found Fresno CRC, and that's when I first heard about it. Okay, yeah. And, and so um, that's awesome that he comes uh, sort of from the outside the denomination into, because um, just like when a new member um, who is not from the Christian Reformed Church comes into a church, can bring a lot of energy and... Uh, insight about how other churches and other traditions are doing things, and that can really sort of cross-pollinate and bless a church. I think that Pastor Zach's definitely provided that for our church in some huge ways. And so I'm sort of towards the other 
and of um, having grown up in the Christian Reformed Church. So with the last name Van Dyke, obviously I have a Dutch background and my um, my great-grandparents were members of a Christian Reformed Church and I think they probably came over from Holland and uh, my grandparents, uh, you know, were uh, stalwart members of their Christian Reformed Church and, uh, you know, very inf involved in the life of the church. Um, and, uh, and yet, um, I grew up in a church plant in the CRC, in the western suburbs of Chicago. So, um, that was a different experience than what I now pastor in. Um, my first pastorate was in Sumas, Washington, which is right near Linden, and now, obviously, I'm a pastor in Ripon. And so, I've pastored in these CRC hubs, these CRC circles, but that's not really what I was raised in. I was raised in a church plant that um, was very small for our first 10 or so years. And then, yeah, from like 84 to 94, very small meeting in a school. And, um, and then uh, we had a, a wonderful pastor, Pastor Fred Young, and he uh, was a gifted preacher and still is. Um, and he, uh, he really helped to grow the church with a lot of creative ministry ideas. And now we, we went, when I, when I was in this church, Christ Community Church of Plainfield, uh, from probably uh, uh, 40, 50 people to when I left for college, closer to 200 people. And then when I had graduated college, it was probably closer to 300 people in that congregation. And so... Um, my understanding of church was that church is a place of life, of vibrance, a vibrant ministry where people are coming to Christ, where people are spending a lot of time in one another's homes because we didn't have a church, and so we were always youth group was whose house is youth group at this you know um, this month and uh, things like that, um, and that was sort of my understanding of Christian Reformed church, but. When I went to college at Trinity Western University in Langley, I went to uh, CRC there. And it was uh, a little bit different, obviously, more of a traditional. Langley is a Langley Abbotsford, British Columbia, are more of another hub, probably about eight CRCs in that area. Um, and then went to church there and sort of bounced around since then and have had a pretty good understanding, I think, of the CRC since then. Um, went to Calvin Seminary. Um, I've preached at churches, CRC churches. Uh, my first time preaching was on the Navajo Reservation in Ship Shiprock, New Mexico. Um, I preached in Sarnia, Ontario, and all around Grand Rapids and Holland and uh, Muskegon, Grafskopf CRC, the very first one. Um, Illinois, where I grew up. Indiana, where I candidated. Iowa, where I candidated. British Columbia, where my wife is from. And now through Washington and California. And so I, I have a pretty good sense, I think, of um, the Christian Reformed Church, uh, sort of some institutional knowledge, you might say, of uh, how things have gone and maybe are going, and um, like I said towards the end of this conversation, we'll say hopefully will go uh, based on some of that knowledge. So um, so that's sort of where we're coming from. Um, Ammon Valley Christian Reformed Church, maybe for those who aren't members of our church who are watching this, is a mid-sized Christian Reformed Church. I think we have about 275 members um, and the average Sunday when we are gathering in person uh, oh, is, oh, I is probably between 200 and 215. Um, and uh, we are a theologically conservative Christian Reformed Church. Um, you know, if 
if people want one thing from the sermon, it's to hear the Bible. They want to, to know the Word of God, and I appreciate that. I, I love, that's one of the reasons why I came here uh, to, to be the pastor of this church, was because I could just tell people they just want to hear the Word of God. So, um, along with that, to give you a few more markers of what our church is like, we have... Um, you know, gems and cadets, a lot of the yeah. traditionally Christian Reformed ministries, um, men's Bible study, women's Bible studies that meet just like just about any other church. Um, we are a complementarian congregation, um, and so that means <clears throat> that means um, men as pastors, uh, elders, and in our church deacons as well, and um, and so that. Um, I don't say that because it's the biggest deal in the whole world. Um, obviously, it's far behind the gospel and in uh, prevalence and the amount of times that you'd hear about that in our church. But that would maybe help you get to know a little bit of the culture of, of our congregation. Um, and so, yeah, theologically conservative, really, we, we do care about um, what you would probably call the evangelical Christian faith, um, the gospel uh, the solas would be some, something that most people would be familiar with, um, and uh, that's sort of where we're at. So, um, so Zach, what do you think are some strengths of the CRC? So, there's a lot of strengths, and so I'll try not to list them all off one after another, rapid fire. But I think, of course, in my perspective, the the biggest strength of the CRC is its theology. It's Reformed theology. That is the reason I found myself here. That's why I feel so comfortable being here. And that's why it's a joy to, to get to preach and to teach here about the breadth and the, the scope and the, the goodness of Reformed theology at its best. And so, yeah, Reformed theology, of course, is an all-encompassing world and life view, as Kuiper would put it. Uh, but it's, it's also more than that. It's this grand tradition, at least that I've found, uh, that was rich theologically, rich biblically, uh, and it's turning to Scripture, it's listening to Scripture, I think very attentively. Uh, of course, it includes the solas, it also includes the, the five points of Calvinism, um, as we often hear it called tulip. Um, and so it has this grand vision of God's sovereignty and His goodness and, and His authority over all of the earth and all, over all of life. And that was something that was compelling and still remains compelling to me. Um, when I first started learning about the bigness of God, uh, reading the, those Reformed authors that I mentioned earlier, um, that was a mind-blowing uh, change of thought for me, to see that God was so big and so, so in control, and that was actually a good thing, and that gave me a lot of relief. Uh, that gave me a lot of joy, a lot of faith, um, and it made God much more worshipable, I guess, to me. It made me want to worship God in all His glory and magnificence. And so I think that that is one of the major strengths of the CRC, just the tradition that we have as being a Reformed church. And so along with that, I think our doctrinal standards are something that I really appreciate. I think we make it a point, not just because we feel like we are compelled to, mm -hmm. but because we enjoy to share our, our rich tradition with, mm -hmm. and with our students. And so we, we like to bring up the Confession. We like to bring up the Belgian Confession or the Heidelberg Catechism 
or even God forbid the uh, <laughs> the cannons of door. We love to share those we things. Yeah. Uh, we we really enjoy those. We think that those are are worth people digging into because they are a helpful uh, way of understanding what Scripture is teaching as we can see it uh, in all of its breadth. And so, really, just that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me when I think of the strengths of the CRC. The big one is the R in the CRCNA. The the reformed uh, theology that we have at our core. Um, so that's just yeah. one thing. I'll, I'll pass yeah. it back to you. For well, and, and going along with that, I think we impart that quite well to uh, the next generation. And so um, this is probably something that distinguishes the Christian Reformed Church from uh, maybe a few other, uh, maybe Presbyterian or Reformed denominations, um, is that catechism is still taught in our church. Um, it, I'm not teaching it right now because the kids just finished two years of catechism and so we're taking a bit of a break, but every kid will encounter every Q&A of the catechism during their education yeah. at our church and, um, and also through the Christian school, which um, is a, that's a huge factor as well that I think is a real strength of the Christian Reformed Church is our devotion to Christian day school education. Um, the more I think about it, the more convinced I am of the, the worth of and the value and even uh, the biblical support for Christian day school education. Um, Deuteronomy 6 really being um, the main uh, thrust behind uh, the importance of it. And I think that that is why a lot of people in our church send their children to Christian school is because of a Deuteronomy 6 attitude of talk about God's word when you get up and when you lay down, when you walk along the path, wherever you go, be talking about God's word. Meditate on it. Um, what it says, teach these things diligently to your children, right? Yeah. And uh, and so I think that's a, a big part of our cultural identity is to yeah. teach our children um, not just Jesus loves me, but to teach them the Bible, right? To have them encounter the living God through his word. And I think that happens really well at Ripon Christian, and it have, was happening well at Linden Christian where we were previously, and there's this awesome network of schools that are have been built by Christian Reformed people and are continuing to be supported by Christian Reformed uh, people and churches. And so that's a huge strength, I would say, as well. Um, maybe some other strengths, I, I, I want to list them off maybe a little bit quickly. Um, I think we are a pretty Christ-focused denomination. I think that... Um, Obviously, there are uh, anybody watching this who knows much about the CRC would know that there are there's a more left leaning stream of the CRC, um, sort of uh, politically left leaning, and then there's obviously the more right leaning stream. But I'm often impressed at the uh, the Christological focus of all of the pastors and members of the CRC in that, um, you know, the, the things we put out from our denominational offices, which um, sometimes people disagree with, but I think that around Good Friday and Easter, um, it's going to be on the right thing, right? It's yeah. going to be on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's going to be on his work, God's love for us, his grace to us shown in Christ. It's going to be the gospel is, is still going to be promoted. Um, I would say from many, if not most, of 
both of the people of sort of those those streams. There's going to be um, there's going to be a desire to encounter God and to know His grace um, as much as much as we are sometimes divided in those two camps. I do think both are really trying to stay focused on the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, the life everlasting that we have through Him. Um, and, uh, and so I think that is generally a positive that we have across our denomination. Um, now, I, I'd say uh, statistically, um, we have also been known as one of the most generous denominations in terms of supporting pastors, um, in terms of supporting seminarians, uh, and uh, just in terms of giving. Uh, we are a very generous, I know uh, Ammon Valley is an extremely generous church, um, and uh, there are many, many Christian churches in this country and in this world who kind of want to keep their pastors poor, um, and, uh, and certainly the Christian Reformed Church is not, is not really one of those. And so, um, very generous in giving. Like I was going to mention, there was a study done by Christianity Today a few years ago of what the most generous denominations are, and the Christian Reformed Church was at the top. Um, they were amazed to find this little denomination of Dutch Reformed people um, who were so generous, um, and so the numbers back that up, just like the numbers of our personal giving, you can't lie about it, you're going to get that report at the end of the year that shows how much you actually gave to church, and you can't fool yourself because the number is right there. Um, that was an affirmation uh, that in that study that Christianity Today did that uh, that we really are a, a generous congregation or and uh, and denomination. So I would also say the intellectual yeah, uh, that's side. Yeah, the thing I had yeah. written down to yeah. the intellectual, the deep intellectual tradition. Yeah, um, especially in the Dutch stream, and we talk a lot about. Uh, trying to explore and help our church see really the breadth of the Reformed tradition, not so much just the Dutch side of it. Although, as somebody who studied with a lot of Presbyterians, we I came to appreciate and love the, the Dutch theologians that we were reading, especially uh, Bavink. We did read a little bit of Kuiper, although he wouldn't have been as high on the list for some of the professors as he would have been for others. And John Frame, one of my professors, is a very well-known Kuyperian, um, but aside from that, Bavink was really held up very high, or Gerhardus Voss, who was sort of in the middle of the road between Presbyterians and yeah, the Dutch Reformers. Cornelius Van Til. Cornelius Van Til. John Frame would also be a big Van Tilian. Um, and so we did read a good bit of the Dutch side of things, and so I, I appreciate that part of the CRC's history. And you can see it. CRC is a very well trained, especially among the clergy, there's yeah. a, there's a uh, intellectualism, which is, can be sort of a problem at times, yeah. but it, it can very much be a strength as well. And I come from traditions of Christianity, especially in my childhood, uh, at Baptist churches where intellectualism wasn't a high value. And I think as someone who got into college and began to res wrestle with whether my faith was stupid, uh, having intellectual depth was really important, and that's part of what drew me to Reformed theology. Yeah, that maybe an example of that is that um, there we try to train our kids to believe and to understand. Like um, you know, Zach and I have encountered all kinds of atheistic arguments. It's like I have never encountered an argument that has been convincing to me 
that God doesn't exist or that the, the God of the Bible is the, the one true living God. It's like I, um, and, and part of that is just that um, I was raised to think, to read the scriptures, to understand them, not just to consume the spiritual milk of, you know, a Jesus loves me, um, sort of lowest con common denominator evangelicalism. Uh, Which is how I sort of felt that I grew up. Yeah. I grew up with that. And, and you had the hunger personally to go and find it, but yeah. how many of your peers probably didn't have that hunger, and then it just was never there. Whereas what we try to teach our kids, whether it's through youth group or through Sunday school or even in our homes, is there you don't have to bury your head in the sand. There are good answers to all of these questions that will be launched at the Bible or at the divinity of Jesus or you know the virgin birth, the historicity of the resurrection, um, the uh, the prophetic claims of the Old Testament uh, fulfilled in the New, like all of these these um, sort of attacks on the Christian faith have great answers in the Reformed worldview, in the Reformed context. And so I think we, we hope we do a good job at, at yeah. teaching our kids. And, and again, there's some evidence of that. Um, I saw a couple years ago, um, there was a study done on Dort University graduates, and it found that I believe more than 90% of Dort, recent Dort University graduates were attending church. Right, and I would love to know of any other Christian yeah. university, any university, even Christian university, that would be able to rival that statistic. Um, that impressive. that as you are learning, you're not just filling your head with knowledge, but your heart is becoming more and more uh, desirous of the kingdom of God. Right, and so I think that that is generally a strength of the CRC is that we we don't have to hide from difficult, from the problem of evil, or from, uh, you know, uh, these, uh, uh, the canon of yeah, scripture, the canon, yeah, the, the big one, um, sort of, uh, crit uh, criticism, uh, textual criticism, things like that, it's like, they're, in our reformed context, we can, we can dig into those questions, and we can find yeah. the answers, and, and we don't just have to pretend that they're not there, yeah. so, um, and we're trying to train our kids to do the same. I think that that is a good thing. But anyways, what, what kind of weaknesses do you see there? Well, one more string I wanted to add okay, is, is reformed worship. Uh, mm -hmm. That's another big thing that I really appreciate, is, is having a structured but not overly structured liturgy and being able to be welcomed by God and blessed and then sent out into the world. And just some of those basic things, the Lord's Supper, the way that the, the Reformed tradition and the CRC approaches the Lord's Supper, I think is really for the most part, really healthy, really good, um, and it's we we have a reverence and a joy when we partake of communion together mm -hmm. that I think can be lost in other traditions, um, and so that's something I really appreciate. So weaknesses, yeah. however, um, so it's sort of the the uh, opposite of its strength. I think if Reformed theology and our heritage is part of our our strength. Um, the weakness, the weaknesses that I see in the CRC are sort of a forgetfulness of, of that, or a, uh, a, a moving away from apathy the, towards it. Too. Yeah, a lack of care. That's a that's a good point. Um, and I think that from what I can see in the CRC in particular, uh, which is I have a limited perspective, I'll say, but um, it seems to me that at, at the top parts of the colleges and uh, in the seminary, there may be 
I don't know about the seminary. I can't speak from that from that own experience. But uh, the colleges, I see a little bit of a lacking of care for teaching the the seriousness of of the Reformed tradition. Um, something that I I noticed recently as I was talking with a with a person I know in the CRC, not from our church, not really but from around here. Um, he grew up in the CRC, went to Calvin College, uh, now is in seminary to, to be ordained in the CRC, and he had never heard of the regulative principle of worship. Uh, and that, that was telling to me that there, not that he's against what that is necessarily, he just, he, he had never heard that before, and that to me was revealing of a sort of forgetfulness of our of our past and what makes us actually reformed and distinctively reformed and distinctively reformed Christians within the broader scope of the Christian world. And so there's a sort of losing of, that I see, a, a, a slipping of, of those distinctives. Um, so that's one of the weaknesses that I, that I have noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Um... That's, that's probably the biggest one that I would say as well. And when even when we get into recognizing some weaknesses of the denomination, um, I know that some people watch this uh, who maybe are uh, baby boomers or above in age, um, they will hear us start to criticize things about the CRC and they will interpret that um, in two ways that I, I don't want to intend. So firstly, um, this I, we I love the Christian Reformed Church, um, and um, just like uh, C.S. Lewis says, um, you hate the sin and you love the sinner, and that's that gets a lot of uh, flack these days. Um, but he he defended it, saying we do that because we first do it in ourselves, right? We love ourselves, and yet you hate your own sin, right? And so I think that's a great example, and I think that, that this conversation is that writ large in the CRC, and that I love the Christian Reformed Church, and uh, I, wanna, I want these things to be improved based on what I read in the Bible, and the sense that I get of God, and um, what God is really like, and and if we're always talking about God in that biblical reformed way, um, that's the direction that I sort of want us to go. And so we have to recognize some of these weaknesses if we're going to move in that positive direction. So that's the intention of the conversation. It's not to just blast these people in GR who are trying to wreck our lives. You know, that's almost how this can go, uh, particularly a lot of uh, social media forums, uh, which is often very discouraging. Um, but uh, secondly, um, as we sort of talk about some of the weaknesses in the Christian Reformed Church being a loss of our Reformed heritage, what we don't want is a return to Sabbatarianism, right? Um, the Sabbatarianism of, of yesteryear, which um, somebody in our church told me they could go swimming on Sunday, but their head couldn't go underwater, right? Um, and he said the reason was that the neighbors would then know because your hair would be wet. But, um, but that kind of stuff. And so when we say we need to, a, a return to our Reformed heritage, we don't mean a return to all of the rules that you were supposed to follow in, on Sunday and um, you know, sort of this almost cultish sectarianism that there really was, um, from my understanding of the CRC, mm -hmm. um, 
as my parents and grandparents talk about it a little bit, like not being so sure RCA people could go to heaven, right? Like, um, like that kind of stuff. That's not the return that to our Reformed heritage that we're talking about at all. Uh, that's not it at all. That's not really the context that I grew up in. I grew up in a vibrant, growing Christian Reformed church um, that was pretty evangelical, but um, uh, I'm not coming out of the context of a sort of stalwart CRC that kind of really just hopes things will be like 1972 again. You know, um, that, that's, not, that's not what we mean either. And so um, we, we offer the criticisms totally in love, and I think that our actions back that up. Um, and our rhetoric, and you can tell hopefully that our tone backs that up, we're not angry about these things, um, but also not really wanting to just go back to yesteryear when it was a simpler age and, and day, because yeah. that, that's a romanticized view of what used to be. So, yeah, there's anyways. No, there's no repristinating the, the past. Yeah. There is no golden era that we wish to return to. Yeah. Um, that's always the temptation, especially for people who tend to be theologically conservative, to right. try to dust off the past and just say, let's go back oh, to that. Only. We could there's no golden era. History yeah. moves forward. <laughs> we, As Reformed people, I would say we're both probably a millennial. We're looking forward to this future yeah. when Jesus is coming. Right. Uh, we are moving towards that future too. Right. The, the eschatological move is forward. So right. Right. we're not trying to go back. Yeah. Um, and so maybe to, to that point of our weakness, um, yeah. I do totally agree that uh, we need to define what it means to be reformed. Yeah. That, that is That's totally at the heart of what we need to do as a denomination. And so... Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a point three, a best case scenario of where the denomination could go in the next 10 years would be a recovery of wonderful, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, reformed theology. Yeah. And to have that unashamedly preached from our pulpits and to have that taught in our schools, um, and again, unashamedly, um, schools using the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, the Canons of Dort, and to educate uh, young people. I know that that happens to some extent at Ripon Christian, which I greatly appreciate, yeah. but I know that there are other Christian schools that are definitely starting to lean towards that evangelical, sort of homogenous, mm -hmm. lowest common denominator Christian faith in order to be more welcoming, but um, I think we could be very welcoming to a uh, non-denominational church attender and teach what is in the Heidelberg Catechism. We don't have to be ashamed of mm -hmm. um, of the Catechism to make the non-denominational or Lutheran or Methodist or Baptist kid feel welcome. Mm -hmm. um, the, the example of that being in my own education. I went to a Missouri Synod Lutheran school in K through eight, and we learned the Lutheran Catechism. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, at times it did make me feel a little bit of an outsider, but even looking back on that now, I'm, I greatly value that I still remember um, uh, the, the first commandment, right? What is the first commandment in Luther's small catechism? That I should fear, love, and trust God above all things, right? So there you go. Like that, That's good for me. That was good for my education, and I actually appreciate the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, and my brother attends now with his wife and family, and and we should be unashamed that we're Christian Reformed. We have this catechism, and we have these confessions, yeah. and we have John Calvin, and Bobbink, and Burkhoff, and 
yeah. and, and all these great Kuiper, you know, these great uh, thinkers that we stand on the shoulders of. Let's be glad about that. Yeah, we have gifts that yeah. can be shared, and we can also receive gifts from others, but we have our own gifts for sure. Yeah, and, and so um, I think uh, the weakness would be... Um, would just be in the the precision of that definition of what it means to be reformed. And so I would posit that a good definition of what it means to be reformed is to be uh, relentlessly focused on the glory of God, particularly as we um, experience His love through Jesus Christ. Right. So it starts with the glory of God. That was... Um, that was a big part of my Easter sermon, actually, was like, first, we're just going to think about what God has done. Right? That's what Reformed theologians do. Um, Boving talks about that in his uh, comparison between, actually, Lutheranism and um, the Reformed, the Continental Reformed faith, in that he says, um, many streams start with this question of, what must I do to be saved? Right? They start with a question that is anthropological, that is uh, person-centered. What must yeah. I do? What must I get? What do I need from God or from uh, the, the Word of God? Um, and so he says, actually, the Reformed person starts with questions about God. Who is God? Um, what, is, what does it mean that God is holy? What does it mean that God is sovereign and powerful? What does it mean that he's loving and gracious and slow to anger, anger and rich in steadfast love, right? And so we start with those questions, and um, as I said in my Easter sermon, when we answer those questions, all the anthropological questions are answered, right? The, the questions about ourselves. So when you know a holy God, you will take your sin more seriously, right? When you know a powerful God, you'll have hope and peace, because this powerful God is really in control of everything in a way that we could never be or shouldn't ever even want to be, right? When you know the, the love of God in the, word of, in the Word of God, and when you have an experience of it, um, then you'll, you'll gain um, this sense of acceptance um, in God through Jesus Christ, right? Or with God through Jesus. And so um, we need to recover this theocentric view of God. That is the Reformed faith. It, um, uh, if you read great Reformed theology, um, there's, there's often very little application, which maybe is a weakness <laughs> of it. But I think the reason for that is that when, when you know God, when you're really knowing Him and loving Him, um, with, which is often what happens in the sermons that I love to listen to by um, Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Piper and um, uh, Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon, the desire is to know God, and the, yeah. the automatic result is to to obey Him and to live with peace. and And so, um, Reformed preachers, Reformed teachers, uh, Reformed Christians, um, we want to know God, right? And uh, the Canons of Dort help us do that. Certainly, the Confessions do, but really, God's Word does that. Um, and, and I would say where we err at times is is to move actually towards Arminianism, towards that um, that question of what what could we do, you know, in order to um, I wouldn't say earn salvation, or it's not like any kind of semi-Pelagian thing that I want to accuse any Arminian Baptism Baptist or Methodist <laughs> person of, but 
Um, but there is definitely that that human centric yeah, focus. Yeah. What else? What else can I do? What yeah. else can we do? Which honestly is the mega church today, right? Um, so I was curious. Um, somehow on my social media feed, a, uh, a mega church pastor came up, and I watched his message, and it was totally anthropocentric. It was just, what do you need? How how are you how can you grow in hope? How can you grow in peace? And and it was almost like God was this thing you need in order to feel better um, versus and that can definitely trickle its way into reformed preaching at time or, or Christian reformed pulpits I would say that's not reformed preaching but that could creep its way in sure. and we need to be very aware of that um, so for example in um, in exams that happen at classes where a ministry candidate is being examined um, we need to hear about, we need to hear God-active language. We need to hear what has God done. Uh, one of my favorite books that I'm actually reading right now is called The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bobbink. That's what it's about. That's what we're about. That's what we do, we celebrate on Sunday. The Wonderful Works of God. Yeah. He, he shows grace to us, he redeemed us, he keeps us, and he will uh, make everything new, right? And so, that's the Reformed heart. Um, but I think we often drift just towards Arminianism because that's kind of the default American way of thinking is that um, I have needs, I have decisions to make, and hopefully, you know, God can kind of work into that somehow. Yeah. So, um, anyway. That's a really good point. That made me think of something I've been talking about with my wife, now wife. Still sort of strange to say that, almost a month in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she was talking about her experience now coming into the CRC with me about a month ago, and one of the things that she said was that there's a sort of peace that I, I have about my faith now that I didn't have then. Mm. There, was a, there was much more anxiety that I sort of felt in re regards to my faith. I wasn't doing enough, or I wasn't emotional enough, or I wasn't passionate enough, and there's a sort of peace and joy that I feel because I know that God is active in a way that I didn't really know before. I think that's about what she said. I wonder mm -hmm. if she'll watch this and she'll disagree with that. No, that's not what I was saying. Uh, but it was really like, yeah, I, that's that was my feeling too when I when I came in. Is because we have a very theocentric understanding of of the world and of everything. scripture and of life. <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. 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 That's and just even uh, Bob talking about the Bible. It's like the Bible, like. It's God uh, speaking. It's, it's like, it, he, he calls it a, a world-changing revelation, right? Like, having that attitude towards the Bible. I've even heard, um, not so much in our current classes, but in my previous classes, you know, people just openly kind of scouring at the Bible. And it's like, that that's the farthest thing from being Reformed, mm -hmm. is, is to, um, you know, like we sing... Uh, um, who can question any of his words? And that wonderful song, Behold Our God, which is based on the book of Isaiah. Who can question any of God's words? Who can give him counsel? You know, um, and so just thinking about that, it, it, it almost makes me cry because I'm so sad that anyone would be a Christian Reformed minister and would question the word of God. Um, and so it, that, that's to me what we need is... Um, uh, maybe even a little bit more of this, a little bit more emotion in our um, in our impassioned preaching. Um, yeah. I'd say that's probably one of the weaknesses of the CRC as well. I've, I've 
heard a lot of CRC sermons, and I've heard a lot of boring CRC sermons um, that that take this often will take this wonderful theology and just make it stale and and like kind of painful. And I know that that's probably the experience of many, particularly baby boomers who grew up with um, what what is a catechism sermon in their mind. It's really a boring sermon and. Um, uh, and on the other side, an exciting sermon is an Arminian sermon. That's, that's kind of yeah. the two choices almost that people are given, whereas the ministers that I love, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, logic on fire, right, is what they call his preaching. And um, Charles Spurgeon, right, this, this, the prince of preachers, this yeah. bombastic personality who unashamedly preached the five points of Calvinism and then... Uh, Jonathan Edwards, religious affections, right? Um, drawing the affections out and acknowledging the, the, the wonder of God with our emotions and maybe not getting carried away by that, but really getting emotionally involved in the preaching event, right? And so I think that's probably a weakness of the CRC as well, that um, we are not trained to, um, to preach uh, enthusiastically reformed sermons. Um, yeah. And uh, maybe... Uh, that's that's probably uh, maybe that'll be my final critique is um, is how we're trained to preach in the CRC. Um, particularly, this is maybe a criticism of Calvin Seminary um, that uh, there's a, a way of crafting sermons at Calvin Seminary that is very attractive to other professors and people in Grand Rapids, and I call it the Grand Rapids style, and that is uh, really the the, the um, the patron of the Grand Rapids style would be Neil Plantinga, and I enjoy listening to Neil Plantinga's preaching, but um, I know that, um, I, I, my uncle once told me, you know, it's like, I don't get it, right? it is what he said, because it, it, it doesn't go everywhere, right? Um, right. And, and that style of preaching, which I am I'm good with, I, I like it, um, it's, it's not, it doesn't always translate into, say, uh, rural context like ours, yeah. um, you know, a, very, a lot of very flowery language, uh, very wordsmithy, very uh, um, expressive in the uh, the vocabulary that's being used. Um, I liken it a little bit, tiny bit, to Tim Keller, like a lot of literary references. Um, now, I, I love Tim Keller as well, but yeah. I'm not going to refer to um, Macbeth in my sermon. <laughs> People don't want to hear that, right? And uh, they, even if it's an amazing insight, um, that, that actually just discourages people. And uh, that's really the kind of preaching that we were told is good at Calvin Seminary was very literary, very, uh, just a lot of references and weaving things in. And, um, and I would say the weakness of that was very low on declaration, proclamation yeah. of the Word of God. So um, we were even told, uh, you can't just tell people what to do in a sermon. And my, my, I was often thinking, what if the text is a law? <laughs> right? What if the text is Colossians 3, right? Which says, uh, right. put on Christ, right? Uh, be done with, um, you know, all the idolatry, the pride, the selfishness, and be yeah. done with that and, and put on gentleness and kindness and in compassion and put on those things and, and so um, there's no sort of literary way to wiggle out of that declaration of the law of God and um, and so even still what is 
regarded as great preaching in the Christian Reformed Church is um, is more that literary Grand Rapids style. Yeah. And um, I, it it's okay um, to some extent it, it is, as long as it remains Christ focused and as, as it communicates the gospel clearly, a forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, salvation through Him. Um, then it can be okay, right. but often it just turns into more of a literary exercise than a preaching event. Yeah, it's um, more of a lecture. Um, yeah. The strength of it can be that it's apologetic in bent. It can be approachable. It's, it's aimed at yeah. reaching a particular cultural yeah. way of thinking or yeah. pattern. Um, but yeah, there is a sense in which preaching, by, by definition, ought to be proclamation. you got to declare. Um, and there's going to be law and gospel sort of in every mm -hmm. sermon, um, or most sermons at least, depending on your text. Uh, yeah, there's a declarative, declarative yeah. uh, sense in which it needs to come across. And I've found people respond very well often to a sermon where the law of God is very clearly declared and grace is immediately applied, right? And so... I liken it a little bit to um, this is this is probably really getting into um, the last question of the sure. best case scenario is um, is that uh, I, I've said in a sermon um, what would be the what is the most frustrating state to live in? It is to be very very sick and have no diagnosis, right? And, and when I talk with people um, who who think they might have cancer. That's the worst place to be because um, it, it might be cancer, it might not be, it might be something else that could be just as bad as cancer. Um, and when the diagnosis comes, then there can be um, a plan, right? And uh, this is in the case for Reformed preaching, that there should be diagnoses in our preaching of um, what's what our sin really is. And um, I mentioned Neil Plantinga. Actually, I think he can be a master at diagnosing what a sin really looks like in our lives. And so I, I don't mean to criticize him necessarily, but, but I think there's probably a lot of people who try to preach in that way who end up just being never diagnosing anything because while he can do it because he is such a brilliant man, um, a lot of his imitators don't do that. And they just leave people confused. Like, um, you know... Uh, Plenty has a great hymn on the or hymn, a great sermon on the golden calf, and and he he calls it a God just in case, right? And what are our gods just in case? You know, Moses doesn't come down from the mountain. And that's that's good, um, but then other people might try to do that in in a very narrative story way, and then nobody ends up learning what their golden calf would end up being, um, and so that leaves people spiritually. Feeling like they just had no diagnosis, but they're still sick. Yeah. You know, and um, we need that in our preaching, but we also need that denominationally. Um, we, and hopefully our next executive director, will be somebody who will courageously diagnose at times a sin that we have. Maybe it's a sin of the idolatry of intellectualism as a denomination. Um, maybe it's the sin of um, the idolatry of ecumenism to the extent of losing our uh, our reform distinctives and even our Christian distinctives as we try to link ourselves up with apostate denominations, um, apostate ministers um, who, who don't believe in uh, the historicity of Jesus' resurrection and things like that. Um, 
we need, we're going to need somebody who will hopefully come in and help us get to a definitive diagnosis and declare at times, um, maybe forsaking Michigan nice for a little yeah. bit uh, and to say um, what I believe is to, is to say we, we've got to be unashamedly reformed and um, and hopefully that, that would even come from somebody with the chops, you know, with somebody who understands Reformed theology very um, profoundly. Um, that would be my, my uh, sort of job description of a next executive director, a next, um, uh, you know, denominational leader, um, a next pastor of whatever church is hiring a pastor, is yeah. like re to really get that, the thrill of who God is and who He is revealed to be through our Reformed theology, yeah. um, and just just you know be unashamed. Look, this is this is who we believe God is, and uh, just reading the pages of the Bible, He is so holy and He is so powerful, yeah. and we are in awe of Him and we worship Him. That's why we worship Him. I think that's what we need, and um, we we might need for somebody to acutely diagnose. Where that is not being communicated, and so um, maybe I said that was my last one, but I think the, the place <laughs> I think the place this is most often seen if we I want to acutely diagnose something is in something like the Office of Social Justice, which is just yeah, just yeah. like um, works righteousness, social gospel, um, off the rails. Um, I call it the bad news blog, right? Yeah. Because it's just bad news, and it's just about how we're not doing enough, and um, that's not Reformed theology at all. Um, um, I, I would love to know about some of the difficult things that are happening in our world and how we can help with that, how Christ is being preached into those different places, whether that's to refugees or to inmates like what I do every Wednesday. Um, that's great. If, if it's going to be mm -hmm. how we can bring Christ into these places, that's great. That's that's what the Office of Social Justice could be. Yeah. But if if it's just going to be the social gospel, like there was just an article, um, forgiveness, right? And the whole article is about forgiveness, forgive forgive company or something like that, and not a mention of Jesus, right? Um, no mention of the forgiveness that we first receive from God, and so we give to one another. It was just social gospel. It was just if we forgive each other, we can repair our communities. That's what it was, right? And so, um, as if repairing communities was the ultimate. Yeah, absolutely. That's the goal of the social gospel, right? Yeah. And so, um, Which I, is it part of? I think kingdom yeah. work is repairing communities. That happens that's when people know the, God. Exactly. But that's the, the eccentric question. The ultimate goal is just yeah. some sort of, uh, yeah. And so, some yeah, my vague. Healing of communities according to some human standard. And I know that a lot of people have political criticisms of the Office of Social Justice, but that's actually not even my most significant criticism. Yeah, it's, it's just theological. that it's, it, it's theological. It's not. Yeah. It's. Uh, um, I've responded to some of their articles and said we need to hear Christ preached. Yeah. We need to. We need to know how. People, how lives are being transformed in a prison or at the border, or like that's the job of the church. A sermon about that. Listen to um, Martin Lloyd Jones's sermon, "The Healing of the Man at the Gate." Beautiful, um, because it, without Christ being preached, we're giving alms, we're giving 
a daily handout to um, to somebody and you know, trying to rebuild a community or fix a storefront or um, you know even to some extent legislation that you know people get so wrapped up in it's like those are important things to some extent but the church's job is to preach the gospel yeah right? and so and it's not so much often people will hear critiques of social justice from conservative Christians and think that Christians only just yeah, want right. to preach spiritual the gospel they don't they could not care any less about people's well-being about society's well-being about yeah. critical social issues uh, that's not the, the dichotomy we're trying to get at we, we think that a lot of things that the, social, the Office of Social Justice speaks to and does, if you follow along with its work, aren't always bad things. It's, it's more just what they're lacking. They're lacking that, that yeah. proclamation of the gospel and bringing the gospel's light into dark arenas in the world. And so it's yeah. not that we want to just outright condemn the Office of Social Justice, but we think that we feel, we often will see their emails or their blog and just sort of feel like, where is Christ in all of this? Where is the yeah. gospel? Where is the good news? It's yeah. got to be good news, right? And, right. and that, that's what the, the Christian... We look at the bad news, and then we say, how does the good news of Christ impact the situation? Um, but mostly it's about uh, climate change and um, you know uh, yeah. these, these things that you just got to work harder, people. Mm -hmm. Got to make it happen, right? Like, that's not really the message of the church yeah. um, in any era. Um, and so even, yeah, political stuff aside, um, the, the underlying tone is, uh, there, were, there was an article several months ago about uh, a, young, a young person who finally had the right to vote. And it was like, it was like the most important thing that had ever happened in this person's life. And, and that's where this leads, is it leads into thinking political advocacy yeah. is the ultimate, right? Um, right? That's not the message of the Bible. That's not the message of the church. Our message is that grace, God's grace, is ours in Christ, and that's the ultimate. And we show love to God by loving our neighbors, by voting in wise ways, and by doing all these things. It all stems from the theocentric question, right, of who is God and how do we relate to him. And so um, that's where I actually, to sort of summarize it all together, it's not reformed. It's not reformed what's being taught on the Office of Social Justice. I don't, um, generally, um, maybe not every article, maybe there are some reformed ones that I've missed, but it is a uh, social gospel, uh, you know, even, even this question often of, of church plans. So what is a church plant? Mm -hmm. A church, a church plant should be mostly about administering the means of grace. Yeah, that is the preaching that. of the word and the sacraments, and um, and there are we we we've, we've allowed for some, um, uh, what is it called, a mission drift or uh, yeah. um, sort of a vision drift um, into what well, church plants can be about uh, community revitalization. Right, and so hey, great. Go be a community a social worker. Go be working in the community. Revitalize the community. Yeah. But let's. We don't need to call that a pastor. Yeah, that's right? not a church plant. That's not a church plant. And so I think yeah, defining some of these lines. I think the Christian Reformed Church should be all about community revitalization and supporting refugees and taking care of the environment. We should be about those things, but in their spheres, right? Yeah. And not pretending that the sphere of the church is to tell people how to vote or tell people when to complain to Donald Trump. 
Yeah. Which is a lot of what happens. So, yeah. anyways, um, that that is that does get to that reform question, I think, of yeah. well, what are we about? We're about God, um, yeah. and that's what the church is about. Um, yeah. But anyways, so to that final question, then, uh, which we've been referencing, but where do we, where is it, and where do we hope to, that it will go? Best yeah. case scenario, our denomination, what will happen in the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, and beyond, even. Um, I, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, but from what I can tell as a newcomer, is that we are at a boiling point right now in our denomination. And I don't, I don't want to put it too starkly, um, or too, you know, I'm not trying, I'm not thinking that the world's going to end or anything, or that the sky's going to come crashing down. But I think that we're at a pretty critical point, as far as I can tell, especially in regards to uh, critical biblical issues. And one of the big ones right now that's going to be discussed officially, I think, next Synod 2021 is the, yeah. Yeah. the question of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Um, yeah. And so I think that that will be a telling report that's given. Um, and so I would love to hear, yeah. you're more connected on the, yeah. these things, I think, than I am. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on where our denomination is going on in those regards. Well, I was encouraged that the uh, former report, which was produced, it was I think it was called Ministry to Same-Sex Attracted Individuals, something along that lines, mm -hmm. that it was rejected. And I think that was great that it was rejected. Um, uh, we get to this question of being reformed and standing on God's Word. That was a thoroughly unreformed document. Um, if for no other reason than that it was, I think, 60 pages long, and there were three scripture references in all 60 pages. Um, I wish I had one of my Bavink books here, or maybe with my Calvin's Institutes here, because you could look in the back at the list of scripture references. And I was curious, and so um, The Wonderful Works of God, which is a book about uh, probably about 500 pages long, has six pages of Psalms scripture references. Just in the Psalms, in the index, is six pages of, of listing all the places Bavink refers to the Psalms alone, right? And so, you know, Romans probably has four pages, right? Um, and that's a Reformed document. That's a Reformed theological document that references the Bible, right? We don't reference human philosophy. We don't reference um, psychological studies. On the, at the same level that we would reference um, Genesis 3, right? Uh, Genesis 1, 2, yeah. and 3, yeah. That's not it's like, it's, it's not, that's not the foundation where um, I was so glad that that document was rejected. And actually, one of the scripture references of the three was, I think, Deuteronomy 29, 29, which was about how we can't really understand everything yeah. about God, right? So even one of the references itself was kind of about how we don't really know that much. That's like throwing right? in the towel, right? Yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> and so, um, I, I don't know if it was exactly that text, but I know one of them was was sort of against the the trust, uh, inspiring trust of yeah. the reader in the scriptures. Don't and so, too certain. Yeah, and... Uh, and that was my response because the uh, this committee putting the study together on human sexuality asked for feedback. That was my response. There cannot be too much Bible in this. Mm -hmm. There cannot be too much. Yeah. Um, I had a, a friend actually who um, was going through again uh, Calvin Seminary, which is I, I had a good time there. Uh, I know there are a lot of wonderful professors there, but this friend actually was told there's too much Bible in your sermon, right? And, um, and there's too, too many scripture references. And I suppose that, that 
could be taken out of context, and he could have just been using that to sort of slam someone, but mm -hmm. I don't think that would be possible for this report on human sexuality. It's got to just go to the word, um, like that, that like Bavink, like um, Kelvin. Kelvin has scripture references on nearly every page of the Institutes. There's some kind of reference, and often one idea will have four references, yeah. right? And so... Um, if people have never read Bavink, if they've never read Kelvin, then they don't know those things, but um, even uh, as we preach, there have to be references, even behind something that we say. Yeah. Uh, if it's not outright spoken, there have to be yeah. some sort of uh, foundation upon which we are uh, we're teaching. And so, if the report is absolutely chock-full of Bible, I would say that would be a good thing. Um, and if it's leading in the direction of uh, maintaining the historic Christian position on human sexuality. That will be great as well. And uh, you're right, that is a hinge point for our denomination. I think that and um, the direction that we go with our uh, denominational leadership will show a lot. Um, personally, I would love for, um, if, if I think the best case scenario, I think that it would be great if there were more complementarian, openly complementarian leaders of the Christian Reformed Church. Um, Right now, my understanding is that um, that you're, you're kind of not really allowed in the top levels of, yeah. of leadership if you hold to the, the traditional um, view that uh, men are leaders in the family and in the church, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so um, I think that would be wonderful um, if the next executive director is openly complementarian. I think that would be great. I know that that's... Could totally Calvin not. not have sat, you know, at the top levels, or could yeah, Saint exactly. Augustine not have sat at the top levels? Or like, I think about the church fathers because I know a lot right. of a lot of my egalitarian friends, both within and without the the CRC, uh, really appreciate church tradition. But then there's times where it's just convenient to dismiss it. Like, yeah. we're not saying anything really new when we say that we're complementarians. Right, we think we stand on a long history of great theologians, and so would those great theologians not be allowed at the top of, yeah. of our system as our denomination? That, that just seems pretty crazy to me. And I, I don't think that that necessarily means we've got to go back officially to the complementarian view, because I remain in the CRC because I believe that there is some room biblically for the egalitarian position, um, and yet I would love to see their more openly represented, complementarian. Mm -hmm. um, that person would have to be very tactful and very wise about how they communicate those things. Um, but at the same time, just to be able to say, and you know, at the seminary level, at the college, at, um, and at, in our denominational headquarters, that there would be just people who are known to hold to the uh, Ephesians 5 definition of marriage and, um, uh, you know, Men, you give yourself up for your wives, um, serve them by leading, and wives submit to your husbands, which is pleasing to the Lord, right? And so um, people who would unashamedly say those kinds of things and uh, hold to that would be a really good mm -hmm. uh, development, I think, in the CRC. Um, not again, so that we go back to the 50s, um, because when I say those things, that's the first thing people are going to start to think, but so that we can... Um, hold on to that Reformed identity, which is just thoroughly biblical. That's my desire in holding to my own complementarian views. It's, it's my persuasion that 
that's what the Bible most clearly teaches. Yeah. And so that's what I have to preach. And those, it's not that those two issues of women's ordination no. or homosexuality yeah. are the biggest issues in the world, but they are sort of the, they're the tip of the iceberg sort yeah. of thing. That they relate or they, they, they reveal deeper underlying issues in the denomination. Um, so the, those are just the things yeah. that we can see at the top, and it shows that there's something going on beneath the surface that is not as easily seen. And so, and what that thing is, is a, is a posture towards Scripture. Yeah. Um, is somebody's posture towards Scripture a soft posture towards Scripture, where they're, they're reading Scripture and wanting to have Scripture speak to them, and they're, they're not bringing their opinions to it, that they're mm -hmm. listening to it, they are softened to the Word of God, or are they... Is is there are their opinions impenetrable, yeah. uh, unbreakable? And that scripture doesn't really get a say in what they think, and so it's really the hermeneutical question, which is a deeply spiritual question. It's not just an intellectual thing. It is how do you listen to God's voice? Yeah. Do you listen to this voice? I heard a RCA, I think, pastor say recently um, something like, "It be the word of God becomes the word of God when it is." understood or something like that mm. or it becomes the it becomes the word of god when it is preached or something which i that sounds I, I, I was going to say i don't like it at all it seems like a semantic way of denying the objective nature of yeah. god's word of it yeah. being the word of god objectively yeah. and we receiving it right yeah that may i wonder if he was trying to riff on the second helvetic connect or, uh, confession um where it says the word of God preached is the word of God. Yeah, um, but it, which I, I agree with that. The word yeah. of God preached is the word of God. But somebody's right. saying sort of it becomes God's word when it is internalized. No, that that seems like a semantic kind of way of that getting out. That sounds and very. Yeah, and so strange. yeah, I that. But to Zach's point, I think that we have to see it as an objective standard of truth by which we conform our lives, come what may. Right. Yeah. And um, that that would be maybe a good way to sort of conclude our conversation yeah. is that that's that's where we need to go is uh, um, be like Paul. I am unashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation for those who believe. Right. Yeah. And just staying with this this gospel, building our lives on this gospel. I think that there's a lot of wonderful people in the Christian Reformed Church. Yeah. Doing we have lots that. of hope. I don't, I don't yeah. think we're losing hope. Yeah. I think. There's still a lot to be fighting for. Yeah, but wherever we drift, that's the drift, is off of that centrality of um, the means of grace, right? The preaching of God's word, the sacraments, um, certainly also Christian fellowship and, um, right. and, and prayer and, and opportunities to serve God, right? And so um, that's, uh, that's, that's where I would love to see the Christian Reformed Church go, is to just stand strongly. I would love for pastors to know um, the work of Bavink and Kelvin yeah. uh, more fully, right? Um, all the way to the, the highest levels of our denominational leadership. To, right. to inst I don't I don't know if we really need to read business books on how churches should grow as much as we need to read the wonderful works of God or or Reformed dogmatics, right? <laughs> and know those, and then honestly, and when we know those, I, I think that uh, a lot of our questions about um, sort of church governance and decision-making, a lot of them will, will actually be pretty clear. Yeah, um, I would agree. And so, uh, yeah, uh, 
I know that uh, that there are different different understandings of what we need denominationally. I don't think we need another business plan. I don't think we need another um, ten-year plan. I don't think we need um, somebody with the organizational skills to sort of put all the you know the the, the Canadian wing and the Amer it's like all that stuff will come together when we are devoted to Christ to the gospel yeah. in a particularly reformed way. Yeah. Um, I know that sometimes the, the lingo is used, we have a reformed accent. And I actually don't like that all that much. Because I think we're just, we just need to be biblical. We need to have a biblical Christian accent that is so strong that um, <laughs> you know, the reformed accent is, is hardly heard. It's almost hardly picked up on because it's just so biblical. Um, and that is reformed anyways. Yeah. Right? I once heard pastors say, reformed theology is just biblical theology. Right? Yeah. Um, I think that was uh, Brian Chapel, the, the, the uh, preacher. Um, so um, hopefully, retrieval, renewal, yeah. revival, returning to scripture. So my my professors at seminary wrote a book called Biblical or Reformed Catholicity. Within the subtitle, I can't remember the exact subtitle, was about retrieving scripture um, and how reformed theology leads us afresh every day mm -hmm. to scripture. Yeah. Um, that is how. So it's all about retrieval, but not just re re restoring some past age, but retrieving the goods of the past for the needs of the present and the future. Yeah. And that's something that the CRC, I think, really needs and would really benefit from. Yeah. Let's be unashamed. Let's uh, be about Christ. Be about spiritual things. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe maybe one of our struggles at times is to be on on world to be too focused on worldly things, right? Um, but to turn our eyes to things above where Christ is seated, right? Yeah. Instead. So uh, thanks for watching, and uh, hopefully that was kind of helpful. Like like we yeah. say, we have hope for the CRC. We gladly participate in classes and in the yeah. things of the CRC. And we um, love like the other CRC pastors, even yeah. the ones that disagree with us yeah. on certain things. Like, and we yeah, really enjoy that. Our, we encourage our church to pay ministry shares, right? And uh, and so um, this is not coming from a heart of dissension, which is uh, wrong, obviously. We need not look further than the first five books of the Bible to find all the grumbling and how God hates it so much. Mm -hmm. um, but what we want is to refine uh, maybe anybody who's listening and help you understand a little bit more of our heart and uh, where we hope the CRC goes, which is into a, a vibrant, Christ-exalting, evangelistic, um, uh, welcoming com congregations where, uh, where people can meet God. So, um, thanks for watching everyone, and thanks for Pastor Zach for giving his time, and uh, hopefully that was a blessing to you. Have a good rest of your day. Take care, guys.